Greetings, guys and gals, and welcome to the first episode of the Films and Pixels podcast. I am your host, Afif, and there's a lot to talk about. I'll be discussing why Sam Raimi didn't want Venom in his 2007 movie, Spider-Man 3, as well as James Gunn explaining the difference between working with Marvel and DC, Adam McKay admitting that the editing mistake in the film was on purpose, also Samsung launching an HDR10 Plus gaming display, and is GoldenEye 007 making a comeback possibly on Xbox consoles. There's a lot to cover. But first I'm going to be talking about why Sam Raimi didn't want Venom. So while everyone is highly celebrating, rightfully so, Spider-Man No Way Home, there's an interesting quote from a 2007 interview he had with Collider. Now, the first two films, rightfully so, are classics, but the third film, not everyone's favorite. I mean, it was overstuffed with so many, like, you know, too many subplots and too many things going on at the same time. Green Goblin, Doc Ock are classics. I mean, Raimi wanted to use them simply because he saw the humanity in those characters. And also Sandman and Spider-Man 3. I mean, he saw humanity in him, but not the same for Venom. It wasn't exactly one of his more well-liked characters. And it showed, I mean, he did face pressure from Avi Arad, who was president of Marvel Studios at the time before Kevin Feige made it into a global phenomenon. So part of the reason why there was some, you know, some internal behind-the-scenes drama between Raimi and Arad is because Arad wanted Raimi to please the fan base now, he did mention he finished the writing with his brother, and then Avi Arad expressed his concerns not pleasing the fans. And there's a quote that came out that said, But when we were done writing the script, Avi Arad, my partner and the former president of Marvel at the time, said to me, Sam, you're so... You're not paying attention to the fans enough. You need to think about them. You've made two movies now with your favorite villains. And now you're about to make another one with your favorite villains. The fans love Venom. He is the fan favorite. All Spider-Man readers love Venom. And even though you came from 70s Spider-Man, this is what the kids are thinking about. Please incorporate Venom. Listen to the fans now. And so that's really where I I realized, okay, maybe I don't have maybe I don't have the whole Spider-Man universe in my head. I need to learn a little bit more about Spider-Man and maybe incorporate this villain to make some of the real hard, real diehard fans of Spider-Man finally happy. Well, I can't blame comic book fans such as myself for not considering the film a classic, but it shows that Sam Raimi as a film director and a filmmaker, excuse me, wasn't exactly a fan of Venom. And I know I mentioned it before about too many subplots, but it, there was too much going on in a movie that had two hours and 19 minutes of of um, runtime. You know, even the Peter Parker dance in the movie became a meme of its own. So at the same time, there was barely enough reason to care about Toffer Grace's portrayal of, as Eddie Brock. While Sandman was trying to run back to his daughter, Penny, Raimi was asked if he wanted Venom's symbiote storyline in the film, and he had this to say. I thought it would be unfair to the Venom storyline. Unfortunately, has Eddie Brock. 
the establishment of who he is and what he is. The symbiote coming to Peter Parker first, and if you got to go through his, his entire getting of the black suit, the dark Peter, the writing of the black suit before it even comes on to Eddie Brock. So the very nature of that story demands that you either do do it two part, if you want to spend more time with Venom, which I didn't think was fair to the audience, to the fans of Spider-Man. I thought about it, I really did, and I kept reading the fans' emails that Avi would send me, saying that they better not just introduce him to tease us. That would be, I felt that the fans didn't want that from the thousands of emails that were sent to me. So I thought, okay, they want, because I tried to do that. And Avi said, you're going to give me what I asked you. He said that they want Venom. Just give them Venom already. So I said, okay. But obviously, through the very nature of it, he's not only going to be in half of half an act or one act. I'll just make it as thorough and the best that I can. Deliver Venom in the most complete way that I understand the fans might want him. That was my desire. I was led there. Now look, the results do speak for itself. I mean, the movie did make $894.9 million in box office money. And the fourth film almost happened. But during the development phase, it did get cancelled from Raimi because he wasn't exactly happy with the process behind the scenes. And so that's why both Raimi and Sony cancelled it. And looking back in retrospect, you never know what could happen. I mean, it did lead to the reboot of the Amazing Spider-Man duology. But who knows? What if it stopped from Marvel Studios having an MCU? Who knows? Okay, I want to talk about James Gunn. Uh, explaining the differences between working with Marvel and DC. I know this is something from August 2021 during the whole hype of the Suicide Squad being released in cinemas and on HBO Max at the same time, which filmmakers were not very happy with. But he said that, okay, so while Warner Brothers obviously has like all of their IPs and Marvel for a while, trying to get theirs there together. So obviously what happened is that in 2018, when Gunn, at least for a while, was fired from Disney for old tweets. Warner Brothers hired him for the Suicide Squad, excuse me, for the Suicide Squad movie. And the results, things worked out well. No way. Okay, so James Gunn explained the difference between working with Marvel and DC and with Warner Brothers owning all of their IPs, they wanted to hire the, the filmmaker because of his work in the Guardians of the Galaxy and fired for a while because of 2018 tweets. Now, that's also part of the reason why Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is delayed until May 5, 2023, even though this whole COVID crisis is one of the reasons. So Gunn already had the script completed and submitted to Marvel and Disney. Thankfully, both sides reunited in 2019. Now, Gunn made his comments to clarify about working with both sides. Kevin Feige is the producer on the Guardians movies. Peter Safran is the producer on this movie. At Marvel, they serve the role of producer and of studio. Really, 
And at DC, there's a studio and then there's a producer. So it's very different on that respect. And I've answered that question before. And now I wish I always answered it like I just said. That's my regret. <laughs> because that's really the difference. James Gunn also said that Kevin Feige does give more notes and is really more hands-on involved throughout the movie. While people at Warner Brothers, you know, let Gunn have complete creative control, just really minor notes here and there. But in terms of pure involvement, I mean, Feige has shown to be historically hands-on with past filmmakers. And it didn't always work out, so... And you know the tone that he tried to go for being, being a bit more wacky and all that kind of worked it. It did work out. Critically, it was a great film, but didn't make as much box office money. The movie did make $167.4 million on a budget of $185 million. While the 2016 film that not everyone loved didn't make a lot of money. I mean, there wasn't COVID and all that. Made $764 million on a budget of $175 million. So at the end of the day, both companies have different ways of how they want to envision their films and and what their brands want to be like and trying to build their business. In some ways, it either does or doesn't work out. And, you know, just... Uh, you know, as I just said before, results speak for itself. Guys and gals, for those of you at home watching Don't Look Up on Netflix, there was a moment where actual crew filming scenes were in a frame, were actually caught in a frame around an hour and a half, like according to my notes, an hour and a half minute runtime mark. And, um, you know, the camera crew were visible behind Jennifer Lawrence and Timothy Chalamet's characters wearing face masks. It came to public attention from a TikTok user by the name of uh, Eagle Eye, wait, actually known as Ben Kohler, who happens to be a DOP, claiming that it was accidentally edited into the film. It turns out from Adam McKay himself, he publicly revealed that it happened on purpose, and he said on Twitter, Good eye. We left that blip of the crew in on purpose to commemorate the strange filmic experience. Hashtag don't look up. Now, part of the reason why that happened is because like it was just meant to show as a tribute to everyone in, in the crew working on this movie for Netflix, say like through this whole COVID crisis, at least in, like in the height in the early stages where there were multiple lockdowns. And I have a quote from Meryl Streep. When I would come in to shoot my stuff, I'd get out of the car and hadn't spoken to anybody in three weeks. I'd walk into the stadium and Warcaster, put on the wig and nails and the suit, and make a speech to all these people. I just lost it. I forgot how to act. I forgot what I was about. It sort of dismantles your humanity to be isolated like that. Now, watching the movie, I thought it became more intriguing, or I should say more interesting, both ways, really, as time went on. And I and I actually enjoyed the character dialogue between Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence, half the time losing their minds, being really emotional in some scenes, especially when they interacted with the news anchors throughout the film, 
being angry about what's going on. And it did, and it did end as predictably as I thought it would. It's kind of no secret that the movie is based on like some real life people and actual figures. So if you're still interested, go ahead, but don't expect something that's like a classic or anything like that. It's still a decent film. It's not a disaster, but I wouldn't say it's like one of the best, especially from Leo. But yeah, I mean, you know, for a while it did go into cinemas and it did get four Golden Globe nominations. So yeah, not too bad. All right, next thing I want to talk about is Samsung officially revealing their HDR 10 plus gaming display that they're going to announce at the CES 2022 event. They did partner with Saber Interactive for upcoming games like Red Out 2 and Pinball FX. While Mechanic Studios have two of their games called Happy Trails and Kidnapped Princess. Now they had a press re- they released a press release on their new display saying, "We are extremely proud to announce the new HDR10 Plus gaming standard that will be adopted by Samsung's 2022 Neo QLED lineup." with a Q70 TV series and above and gaming monitors, allowing users to enjoy a game-changing experience through cutting-edge visuals and richer, lifelike images, said Siku Yong, executive vice president and head of R&D team visual display business at Samsung Electronics. Samsung will continue to invest in users' viewing experiences as technology continues to advance and provide enhanced new features and capabilities. Now, from what I understood, HDR10 Plus has more like metadata than regular HDR10 visuals with more four times more peak brightness. It does have VRR, low latency, low latency mode, and will look better and perform better on games on the display. Samsung did say that there's going to be 120 hertz but didn't go into much detail. Dolby Vision already has some games on the Xbox Series XS supporting Dolby Vision, such as F1 2010, Psychonauts 2, Microsoft Flight Simulator, Gears 5, Borderlands 3, Immortals Phoenix Rising, Guardians of the Galaxy, Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War, Dirt 5, and Metro Exodus. That remains to be seen during the presentation. I mean, I don't know the exact date, but I think it's going to be. Expect more companies to also be there, including Sony. Okay, guys and gals, final topic of the episode is GoldenEye 007 finally making a comeback. Now, for those of you that are still young millennials that had an N64 back in the childhood in the era of PlayStation 1 gaming generation, now, of course, most people probably remember it, the game more than the movie starring Pierce Brosnan. I mean, let's be honest, that was the only good movie out of his four films. There's speculation that it might be re-released on Xbox in the near future. I mean, more speculation, more fuel to the speculation uh, from an achievement list courtesy of True Achievements. And plus, like, we all know that, like, games and movies don't exactly go well together. 
this is one of those rare exceptions, excuse me. So, a plus GoldenEye 007 did have innovative multiplayer, definitely before Halo Combat Evolved released in 2001, and still a masterpiece. This game and Super Smash Bros. were huge multiplayer mayhems during that gaming generation, so it's good to see that a classic might come back one way or another, whether it's like a port, a re-release, a remake, a remaster, it's hard to know just yet. Now there are pictures that were leaked from Wario's 64 on Twitter, so you know they look legit, remains to be seen. Alright guys and gals, thank you so much for watching this first episode. If you liked what you saw, follow the social media links below in the description. Please keep the comments section friendly as possible, regardless of your opinions. And subscribe to the YouTube channel. Sorry for my voice, I definitely need to get some water. And, yeah. Alright guys and gals, thank you so much for watching the first episode. Follow all the social media links below in the description. Please keep the comment section friendly, regardless of your opinions. And subscribe to the YouTube channel for more content in the near future. And hopefully, better results next time.